0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for December 9th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled Congratulations, You're Having a Baby. Normal sermon, and I'm going to read it as I normally do. But I want to give you a chance to respond. We're being less formal today, so I want you to think. This uh, sermon I started worrying about two weeks ago. Um, you know, as Amy and I uh, work, have worked out our ministry, and it's uh, it kind of fits our personalities. But a lot of times, Amy ends up with the kind of the touchy-feely, the feel-good, and everybody goes out going that was so wonderful, and I loved it, and I love you, and then I get this. And I like to deal with this kind of stuff. But then a lot of times people walk out the door and they go, well, you, know, let me, you know, it's not the touchy-feely, it's not the warm, it's not the praise of God. This is hard stuff, y'all. And I started worrying about this two weeks ago, about how to preach this text that has such difficult... Social and political uh, and economic implications. Um, So I want to give you a chance to talk back since we're informal this morning. So think through as I preach the sermon. And uh, Amy will bring a mic around if you've got uh, some questions, comments. Um, At the end we'll spend just a couple of minutes. They can be some of the most emotion-provoking words ever spoken. Young men being with anticipation, expectant mothers brim with joy and excitement. Congratulations, you're having a baby. Even for those unexpectedly expecting parents, those who were not planning, those who could not have been prepared, those who do not receive the news with joy, there's still no news quite like it. It is as life-changing an announcement, good or bad, as anyone ever hears. When did you hear you were having a baby? If you've had a baby, if you're married, if, you, if you've had a baby in your family, anybody want to tell me the story? Were you surprised, husbands? Did your wife spring it on you? Anybody got a good story, grandpa? were you? Relief and surprise and joy after working out. Thanks for sharing that. Anybody else? Okay. not expecting to have a kid right away, and it was kind of shocking. Yeah, you know, about 15 years ago, we were doing a baby dedication, and um, this was one of those where they were not expecting. And I was walking down the aisle, and I said, you know, they say most accidents happen in the hole. And uh, I I wasn't expecting the response that I got with the congregation, and I think I embarrassed the the mother a little bit, so I I apologize for that. But, yeah, you're not always expecting that. It's can be surprising, surprising good news. And then I said it again, yeah, sure, sure. I actually don't remember where I was when Amy told me she was pregnant the first time, but I do remember the excitement of being in the delivery room, not knowing what we were having and getting to run out and tell the family we were having a boy. I remember remember that moment. So good moments. Mary knew that heart-pounding moment. Even without her divine miracle, there could hardly be a word to rival it. Teenage girl, no husband, Wait, wait, um, what did you say? Pregnant? How could that be? It's easy to understand the terror, the bewilderment, the disbelief. Many young women with a man have been almost equally incredulous when they heard that news. But at some point for Mary, as for all others, the fear and dismay and worry must give way if only a thin hint to some kind of womb-deep joy. It's a feeling at least half of us will never know, but at some point, even when there is dread and regret, I can only imagine there must be an amazing realization that gives way to at least a faint glimpse of that word of praise which Amy spoke last week, my soul magnifies the Lord. This moment is like... A miracle for everyone, like some kind of supernatural intervention. How could it be happening to a body, inside a body? It happened to Mary. She heard those words and she sang her praise. My spirit rejoices in God. That recognition in humility and awe and gratitude continues with our text today. The Lord has done great things for me. Now, who am I to say, never having felt the stirrings of life within, but I can only assume there is a uniquely maternal universal exhilaration in that cry. It's the whole call of life, the whole purpose and meaning of existence, the whole breadth of creativity speaking from within. But just as quickly as a pure praise escaped Mary's tense lips, however, the pondering that she was already doing in her heart returned. You remember that after the birth of Jesus, the shepherds came and they told Mary how the angels had announced to them this great news. And the scripture says, Mary pondered those things in her heart. So Mary sang praise and began pondering and her emotions flipped. But not as you might imagine. Now you can't imagine A dramatic pendulum ride for a young expectant mother. From one emotional high to another, after passing through the depths of remorse or regret or dismay or disbelief or confusion or fear. But there was something different about Mary. That's why she found favor with God. Why generations have called her blessed. Rather than reveling in her ecstasy or clinging to her embarrassment, either of those which would have been justifiably selfish responses, Mary's praise turned joyously outward in a surprisingly selfless proclamation. Maybe the most divine aspect of this pregnancy This ordinary, extraordinary birth wasn't the way Mary conceived the child in her womb, but the way she conceived his purpose in the world. There was no postpartum confusion for this young mother. Mary's poetic song is packed with dense theology and politically charged prophecy. Her song, often mistakenly understood as a simple sing-along, connected her to the sisterhood of Hannah, who years before had sung a similar tune when her barrenness was broken to bring the prophet Samuel into the world. Hannah knew the power of God was made manifest most powerfully in and among the poor and the weak and the powerless and Hannah understood the subversive call of God to upend the status quo, to challenge the powers that be. Hannah's song is almost identical to Mary's. Mary's song is almost identical to Hannah's song. In that sisterhood, Mary, Mary's subtly offensive melody puts her in a line of succession, not just with Hannah but with the caustic and challenging prophets of the eighth century before Christ, Micah and Amos, and with the prophets of the exile, Isaiah and Jeremiah, all those prophets offended the religiously secure the established structure of clerical leaders. All of them threatened the secular power brokers of their day by offering power to the masses and by challenging the social structure, the conventional wisdom, the economic orthodoxy of their time. I wonder if you heard all of that in Mary's song when we sang it and read it. Let me speak it again and listen. My spirit rejoices, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of this servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the powerful in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Last week, Amy quoted for you from a pastor named Jeff Wright, who identifies all of Mary's troublesome hopes. Mary, it's not your typical carol that she sings. Mary's sweet soprano voice is deceiving. Mary sings about politics and economics, the dangers of unchecked power and the foolishness of false pride and what it means for persons and nations to eschew the common good. Mary sings of the outstretched arm of a holy God who is effecting a great reversal in the world. Mary sings the world forward toward a global community of justice and compassion. Did you hear that in Mary's song? In his commentary, Fred Craddock explains the use of the past tense in this text. God has scattered, has brought down, has filled, has sent the rich empty away. Craddock from Emory University is sometimes called the preacher's preacher, and he explains that in the Greek, the aorist tense. I barely remember that Greek had an aorist tense. But Craddock says it's translated by an English past tense. God has scattered. It sounds like something God in, did in the past. But Craddock says the message is its uh, translated by the aorist tense is one of an ongoing essence. God has filled so God is always filling. That's what the is tense means, even though when we read it, we hear past tense. It seems like something that happened. It's a bit like the English speakers who use a present tense to talk about something that happened yesterday. You know, yesterday at 410, Amy and I get in the car and we drive for nine hours. And we drive through Chattanooga and it's pouring rain and we drive through Atlanta I'm using the present tense to talk about the past. The aorist tense uses the past to talk about the past, the present, the future, to emphasize what God can be relied on to do in every age. What God has done in the past, God can be relied to do on today and forever. It would be a mistake to think we need not be concerned about Mary's challenge because She was referring to some long forgotten moment in history, you know, something God had already done, some act of God with Old Testament proportion. But Mary is speaking to us. She spoke using the most appropriate grammatical construction of her day to make it clear, this is who God is. This is how God works. This is what God intends yesterday and today And tomorrow. Just as Isaiah had said it every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill made low. Well, we can make those words into sweet, harmless poetry, but there's more there if you put it in its proper context. The common good, a level playing field. An end to needless crushing poverty. A world without mean-spirited leaders who use power to manipulate a system in which money trumps every other value. In that moment, everyone would have understood Mary reveling in the joy of motherhood, celebrating her good fortune. Instead, Mary looks outward. Mary becomes another mother of all, joining another great sisterhood, this one with Eve, our oldest mother, whose name means mother of all. With Eve, Mary became a mother to Jesus and to your child and to my child. Instead of thinking just of her own child, she thought of the single woman in the inner city struggling with crushing poverty and crime and despair. When she could have worried only of her own, she thought of the children raised in the shadow of the sparkling towers, the glitzy high-rises who depend on snack bags for nutrition on the weekend. Children who can hardly even dream that another existence is possible. Mary sings for all children. And her aching melody calls us with the question that has rung out through the ages, how will we care for these children? Will we really care for the children? Now the question is an easy one to ask in abstract. Yes, of course we care about the children. Our hearts break to think about children, innocent, but hungry and abused and neglected due to no fault of their own. Our hearts break with compassion. But the question is not one for the abstract. The children are with us. They are real faces. There is nothing abstract or theoretical about their hungry mouths, their growling stomachs. So Mary's song, in keeping with that long tradition of troublesome prophetic challenge, Mary's song begs us to bring the abstract into practice. The children tug on our hearts, even as Mary's song reaches a deeper level, asking if we are willing to reorder our society in order to save the children. Are we willing to bring down the rich to lift up the poor? Preaching done gone to Method, you see? Tough text.
1: Or will we just feign compassion?
0: as we feed the system which justifies the status quo. Mary invites us to envision a new system altogether. She does not trust that we can just praise the rich and believe that a little of their comfort will trickle down through all the greed and inefficiencies to those at the bottom. If we really want to change the world, we've got to be more creative, more daring, more risk than to believe the poor will be lifted from their misery just as a consequence of the rich getting even richer. Mary could have been forgiven for a moment of selfish introspection. Instead, she shifted her vision and has offered a challenge of perspective to Christians in every age. People of goodwill living under every type of government Prospering from every economic system ever devised. Doing a little for the poor will not be celebrated, should not be celebrated as the unexpected consequence of just doing more of the same. It's not just a byproduct, it ought to be something we want to do intentionally. If Christians want to change the world, we can. Change begins in the human heart as Christ teaches us to make room for the children, the poor, the outcast, the immigrant. But real change will have to affect structures, systems that are larger than the people who conceive of them, narratives and myths that wield far more power. Mary envisions for us a new system, one that is not top-down, one that does not see lifting the poor as a byproduct of lifting the rich, one that puts the common good as the ultimate good and that celebrates the success of all, not the celebrity of a few. Unto us a child is born? Yes. But not just one child. Unto us a son is given? Yes but not just Mary's son. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, the whole kit and caboodle, all 7.7 billion children equally. And they cannot take care of themselves. None of us can. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are our sister's keeper. And when we want to get serious about what that means, about what it will really take to affect change, Mary is ready to give us a new perspective. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.